Hello, listeners. Rick Voiles here. Diane and I really appreciate you listening to our podcast. We enjoy creating these episodes in the hopes that it will help you deal with that impossible co-parent, and in so doing, give a little more peace to you and your children. Well, August is here, and Diane and I are going to take a little bit of a break as we set up for Season 4, where we'll be talking about alienation. In the meantime, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to rebroadcast some of our more popular episodes. We'll be back soon with Season 4. Now, let me tell you, I don't know a 14 and 16-year-old who aren't generally grumpy. <laughs> Right. Gotcha. What makes a 14-year-old grumpy? Everything. Got it. Yes. Most kids in that age range that have ever showed up in my office, they show up grumpy. Uh, They're tired. They got up early that morning. They've been through a whole day of school and then they're made to come to a counselor's office and they sit on my couch and they look like, yeah, make me talk. So so grumpy is a communication style. Right. Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we give you practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. I'm Diane Dirks. And I'm Rick Voiles. Hi, Diane. Why do I always do that intro? Well, that's I think a you ought to good do it next question. time. Hi. <laughs> let, me, let me hear you say that, Rick. Uh, welcome. I, well, I'd have to practice it a couple of times before I could do it well. Oh, I do it because I'm so good at it. That's it. You're just okay. a natural. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm so welcoming. Well, welcome, everybody. We're glad you're listening once again. Yes. Parent dilemmas. We have talked in the past about narcissism. And this question that we got via email from Tom this week was more about the passive aggressive parent. And I realized we haven't really done much on that. Um, No. Passive aggression can be a covert narcissist technique, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or you You could just confuse the two. Narcissists who go silent on you, they give you the silent treatment, they pout, they act like they're mad at you. That's all very passive aggressive, right? Yep. But you don't have to be a narcissist to engage in passive aggressive behaviors. No. And a lot of people do. People, especially who are afraid of conflict. So what is passive aggression? So being passive aggressive means I'm going to control the situation, not outwardly. I'm going to control it covertly. Yes. So I'm going to show up late to show you how mad I am. Uh Uh-huh. Instead of confront you and tell you that I'm mad at you, I'm going to consistently not be on time to make you mad. Make you miserable. Yeah, I want you to be as angry as you make me. So, And then when I show up, I'm going to have a lot of excuses. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. (laughs) (laughs) And make myself look innocent. And everybody has people in their lives who do this kind of thing, where they control not by what they do, but what they refuse to do. And we call that being passive aggressive, meaning I'm going to show my aggression in very passive ways. So Tom sends this email. Hello, I just want to start by saying that your show has been very helpful in giving ideas and tools and dealing with a challenging narcissistic co-parent. So he's naming her as narcissistic, by the way. So it's important to note that. We have implemented the email protocol and it has been generally successful. Do you have a suggestion about when there is no response to questions, especially if they're time sensitive? So I want to address this portion of his email first, and then he goes on to say some other things that we'll address later. 
I think this is a good question because people that engage in passive aggressive behaviors use this as one of their techniques. Yes. I know it's important to you because you just told me, hey, we have to sign Johnny up for basketball by Tuesday or he'll lose his spot. Yes. So the passive aggressive person goes, hmm, I will wait yeah. till Monday night at midnight before I answer this one. I do want Johnny to sign up, but I really want my co-parent to be on pins and needles wondering. There's a great sense of control maybe yeah. in doing that. So they might wait to the last minute and the whole time Tom is going, well, is she going to agree or not agree? And I can't do this because she has final say on activities. And if she doesn't agree, then Johnny's going to be upset because he's going to want to know why aren't we signing me up? So narcissists in the midst of peace, like to create chaos. Because <laughs> it would be too peaceful for her to just say, oh yeah, sure. Sign him up and have Tom be at peace, right? Yes. So I don't want Tom at peace. I want him. I'm upset with him about something completely unrelated, but I'm going to shut down my communication just so he doesn't have the kind of peace that he wants because he doesn't deserve it because of what he did to me 10 years ago or one day ago. Doesn't yeah. Really yep. Yep. He deserves right. it. Yep. So our advice to this particular question, what do you do when they don't respond to a time-sensitive issue is how you frame the question to begin with is vitally important. So instead of just saying, I need your answer by Tuesday, you say, I need to sign up Johnny for basketball by Tuesday at five. If I don't hear back from you, I'm going to assume that's agreement and I will go ahead and sign him up for basketball on Tuesday at five. Yeah. Then you're kind of saying, if you don't respond, I'm giving meaning to that. The meaning is that you agree. Now they could always come back and say, I didn't get your email, which is why we always suggest you use programs like our family wizard or one of those co-parenting apps that track. They're supposed to look at the email every day. And if they don't, they get a text saying they got an email from you. And then it shows the timestamp when you actually looked at the email. So that's the purpose of those kinds of programs is so that you can't get away with the passive aggressive. I didn't know. I didn't read it. I I was dumb in the moment. (laughs) So that would be concerning any of these kinds of issues that are time sensitive. I think that we agreed to meet five o'clock at McDonald's this week, which is different from our normal meeting time because blah, blah, blah. If I don't hear back from you, I'm going to assume it's still five o'clock and I will be there at five o'clock. In other words, don't beg them for an answer. Tell them what you will do if you don't get an answer. Yeah. And so wording is important, but also timing is important. Give enough time. Don't wait till the last minute to ask. And then it starts to sound like a- I always say, if you can give at least two weeks, give as much time as you can to ask that person for a decision, depending on the the subject matter. Hey, I want to move Johnny to a different school. You want to give them more than two weeks, maybe to investigate and come back with their answer. Even if you have final say on education, we still think it's really important. And in some states, it's required that you don't just notify, you actually have to ask for input. So I would really like Johnny to go to this school in the fall rather than that school. You might want to give them that information in June, not two weeks before registration so that they can investigate and give feedback based on good information 
rather than emotional feedback. You're going to get emotional feedback if you wait too long. So give reasonable time, depending on the situation, whether Johnny wears his blue socks or red socks to school, (laughs) you can do it the day before. I I guess. Or not at all. (laughs) So is it, does this wording ever come across as a threat? Well, you can't control how someone perceives it. Very good. Yep. So you can say, do everything you can to be kind and respectful and hey, this is what Johnny wants to do. I would like to sign him up for this activity or this is there's a dentist appointment that we need to take him to, but I can't take him. If you don't get back to me in a certain period of time, I'll go ahead and reschedule for another time. Just let me know if I don't hear back from you by Tuesday at four. I'll assume you can't take him and then I'll reschedule for another day or something like that. So that you can say that without, you don't have to go in in the past, you have done this. So therefore now I'm going to do that. That'll start a fight. Or if it's very short and curt and doesn't sound like it has any friendliness in the tone. So that's really up to you to be as friendly as you can, but she's a narcissist. She's going to read into it anything she wants to read into it. And so it doesn't prevent them from being passive aggressive. It just helps you to know I'm going to do what I'm going to do, regardless of what you're going to do. You're not left hanging. That's the point. You've shifted the power base. They don't have the power and therefore their passive aggressive isn't going to affect your activities. Which leads us into the second part of Tom's question that I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit vague, but he goes on to say, because of a failed mediation, mom is upset that she didn't get what she wanted. So now on the transition days to his house, he said the kids have not been ready to go, have been grumpy, were not fed regularly on that day. And I strongly suspect the kid's mother is doing this intentionally to rebel against me, essentially using the kids. Now, he did mention the kids were 14 and 16, and they'd been divorced for 11 years and have not had any problems with transitions until after this failed mediation where mom is mad at him. So first of all, I can't believe they haven't had any problems if she's truly narcissistic. So (laughs) calling into question. (laughs) That was a very good plan. (laughs) Is she really narcissistic? You can't go for 11 years with a narcissist. There's no such thing as a well-behaved narcissist. Yeah. But he does claim that they have followed the parenting plan near exact for all those years. So he has survived with this co-parent for 11 years because they've been successfully following the plan. But something happened after this mediation failed. Yes. And we're not sure what. So we always like to give the other parent, not asking the question, the benefit of the doubt. So how would you give mom the benefit of the doubt in this one, Rick? Well, I mean, we would assume that there was some expectations that it was all going to be okay. And maybe even that the children were expecting that it was all going to be okay. And then when it failed, things are not okay. And now mom's been... Right. Often kids, especially this age, once they've been doing this for 11 years, they were three and five when it started. They get to be teenagers and suddenly they don't really want to do the plan like it's written. Other interests. And I don't know. He didn't mention what the plan was, but maybe it's more um, intensive than a 14 and 16 year old care for it to be. Let's just give an example. I'm not saying this is Tom's example, but let's say that they have to go to dad's every Wednesday night for four hours. And that's just hard to do because they have intensive homework or one of them has activities on that night. Social life. Yeah. They've got to run around and do these weird things. And who knows the kids may have gone to the mom and said, can we stop this? And oftentimes a parent who doesn't want to get in conflict with the other parent will try to do the children's bidding. 
This is really what the kids want. For all we know, she even told Tom that this is what the kids want. He may not have believed her. He may have thought secretly, yeah, that's really what you want. But it may have really been a request by the children. And then they go to mediation. Mom has to go back home. She may have even promised the kids, oh, yeah, we're going to go to mediation. I'll make sure we change the plan just like you want it. Then she leaves mediation and has to tell the kids. She's probably not going to say, I failed at the mediation. <laughs> the dad failed the mediation. Your dad was relentless. Yes. He would not let you do this. Or maybe not even saying that. It may be an assumption that the children made. Well, mom was on board, but she came back from that mediation. And now, obviously, dad wasn't on board. So they show up at dad's the next time, and they're grumpy. Now, let me tell you, I don't know a 14 and 16-year-old who aren't generally grumpy. <laughs> Right. Gotcha. What makes a 14 year old grumpy? Everything. Got it. Yes. Most kids in that age range that have ever showed up in my office, they show up grumpy. Uh, They're tired. They got up early that morning. They've been through a whole day of school and then they're made to come to a counselor's office and they sit on my couch and they look like, yeah, make me talk. So so grumpy is a communication style. Right. (laughs) So one of the ways I always work with grumpy teenagers is I tell a dumb joke and I make them laugh. And then once they start laughing, it's really, for a lot of teenagers, it's really hard for them not to talk. They always say, I'm not going to talk. But then all you have to do is make a dumb joke. And then you're off and running and they're telling you things. So first of all, dad, I wouldn't worry too much about the grumpiness. It sounds like that's not their usual demeanor. Right. So you're a little concerned that they're coming now with this grumpy attitude, but I wouldn't worry too much about teens who are grumpy. He said they're not fed regularly on that day. I don't know that I just have food in the house and they'll go to it. They're teenagers, they're eating machines. So if they were two and three, I would say, Ooh, that's a problem, but I don't really necessarily see them being not fed. So again, dad has gotten used to a routine with these children. Mm -hmm. They come over, they're fed. They're generally happy. They have a good time. Now, suddenly they're not and he wants to say, this is mom's fault. Now you said you gave mom the benefit of the doubt. Let's, take the other piece of this baby mom in her true narcissistic way is really making life miserable for these kids. And they're really angry that dad didn't just give in to mom because now mom is miserable to live with. They might be angry, not because they didn't get what they wanted, but now dad didn't please mom and mom is hard to live with. And you get to live over here in this house and I have to live with her back there. Right. Right. Which would be the <laughs> inevitable result of a true narcissist. Yes. They didn't get what yeah. they wanted. So they're now, God, now you could have made us our lives so much easier. Had you just given in. Right. To and this maybe one thing. In mom being passive aggressive, even with the kids, maybe they're getting the silent treatment because they're going to dad's. Yeah. She may come home from mediation, fallen in a puddle, crying. I can't believe your dad wouldn't give me what I wanted. They feel bad for her. And now they're grumpy and tired and hungry because mom is creating a miserable life over there for them. And they're just tired of all of this. I bet you yeah, talk yes. to these kids, yes. they would be like, I'm sucks. fed up with both of these people. I don't want anything. Yes. yes. That Let me tell you what the 16 will tell me. I got two more years before I get to go to college far, far away. (laughs) Yep. Yes, I've heard (laughs) that. Which is always sad to me that life, they're just tired of living in a divorced family and they can't wait to get away. And I always support that. The problem is sometimes they get away and realize that wasn't the getting away that fixed their problem. And sometimes they 
they fail. They don't do well far, far away. They don't realize they actually need family support. So we don't want to set up our teenagers to be so exasperated with us that it makes them just want to leave the house when they're 18 and get far, far away. And so I could see these kids getting there. Dad doesn't figure out what to do with this situation. So in responding to the children, which is where we come down to, because we can't change mom, right? Whether she's a narcissist or she's not, uh, doesn't matter. We still have to respond to the kids. Would the response be different given that it's a narcissist or just a covert passive aggressive? It depends. I mean, I don't know how many conversations Tom has had with these children about their mom. Chances are unless they're a very secret keeping kind of family, the kids have already expressed their concerns. At 16, I would expect a child to already have expressed their concern to their dad about mom's attitude, the way mom does right. things, right? Yeah. If she is a How hard it is over there. How yeah. hard it is. And I would hope that they're still coming to Tom's house. I would hope that he has a relationship with them enough that he can help them through that. Yeah, that's that's kind of how your mom operates. But over here, you get to be yourself. You get to be you. You don't have to, you know, whatever. So I don't know whether they've had those conversations, but definitely at this age, it's okay to have some true, honest conversations without throwing the other parent under the bus. Right. But to sit down with them and say, hey, ever since mediation I had with your mom, I've noticed when you come over, it feels like you're upset to be here. And I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. They're teenagers. Yeah. Are you, you upset know? with me? Is yeah. What, what would you? How can I help? Yeah. I would really just hone in and focus on their feelings. Now they are teenagers. And if, also depending on whether they're boys or girls. Yeah. Boys might shut down and walk away. And, ah, I want to talk about this. Girl may not. Girls are often more open with their feelings than boys are. So that is a factor as well. But depending on his current relationship with them, I would like to see Tom sit down with them and and ask the question at least. Definitely. If they don't answer Tom, if they stay silent, that's okay. The fact that you're bringing up the topic tells them it's open for discussion because oftentimes what will happen is they'll just walk away. I don't want to talk about this. And three weeks later, something happens at mom's and then they'll come back to you and say, remember that thing you said we could talk about? Uh Uh-huh. I'm now ready to talk about it because you made it a topic that was allowed. And just by asking, you know, and just by asking the question, you've communicated, Hey, I've noticed your grumpy communication style. I heard it. And so if they say, I don't want to talk, you say, that's fine. I just want you to know that I see it. I notice it. I'm assuming And it's okay to tell kids you're assuming things because they want to set you straight when you assume wrong. (laughs) Nice trick. (laughs) I am assuming that things didn't go well at your mom's after our mediation that didn't go well. And I'm sorry for that. I would take your part. I'm sorry that you kind of are stuck in the middle of this. I just want you to know that over here, you can talk about it. I don't know if you can talk about over there. You can assume they can't if mom's a narcissist, but you don't have to say that. You just say, I don't know if you can talk about it with your mom, but I just want you to know I'm open to negotiating things with you. Especially with a 16-year-old, you should be teaching him how to negotiate time. If you say to a 16-year-old, you need to come to my four-hour dinner every Wednesday night because the court order says so, (laughs) they're going to resent that court order. There'll be times. Yes. Yeah. Where if you say, hey, listen, I understand you're 16, you got a car. Let's talk about what would work better for you because you want to teach them 
that at 16, they should be negotiating time with friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and jobs and employers and professors in college. They need to learn the art of negotiation. If every time they bring it up, you shut them down, they're not learning anything other than I can't talk to my dad. Right. He doesn't so listen I think to this me. A prime time. If they were seven and eight or 10, even, I would probably tell you something completely different. But at this age, you know, sit down and say, I'm open to negotiation. If you just want to see me on a Saturday instead of a Wednesday, I'm not saying give up all your time with your child, but I'm just saying that renegotiating time, I'm a fan of saying to a teenager, I know you have a life and you're supposed to come every other Friday to my house for the weekend. But if you call me 48 hours in advance and say, hey, I got something going on this weekend. Can we renegotiate our time? Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to say yes, because you were respectful of my time. Yes. But if you wait to the last minute on Friday and call me and whine and say, yeah, but I got invited to a party and I don't want to come here, then that doesn't feel respectful to me. Now, Keep in mind, teenagers are infamous for being horrible time managers. Oh, definitely. Uh (laughs) So they plan everything at the last minute. So you might not always get that, but you want to reward them for giving you a heads up for saying, hey, I still want to spend time with you. Can we rearrange our time this week? And you say, of course, let's talk about that. And you actually come to some meeting of the minds. That has nothing to do with mom. Correct. It has everything to do with what you're teaching your teen in these situations. And, you know, you may even treat the 16-year-old different than the 14-year-old in that regard, because 16 is different than 14. Yeah. And your 14-year-old is going to do their normal, why you let him do it? Why didn't you let me? Well, because you don't have seniority. Yeah, because you're not (laughs) 16. That's why. Yeah, I use that. It's also a a life lesson, right? I mean, that's how it works in the workplace. Sometimes if you have seniority, you get perks that someone else doesn't. So there are unique parenting ways to deal with this that have nothing to do with your co-parent relationship and I think everything to do with, with parent child. Yes. And I, speaking of that, I think let's give dad the benefit of the doubt. He probably didn't talk about the mediation to the kids either coming up, right? Maybe Kept not. that distinctive. So he right. can have this conversation about their feelings and their reactions and really not get into the details about the mediation either. Right. It's not about mom and it's not about the mediation itself right. or the court case or but it's, it's not about it's, them. Right. And it sounds like Tom is pretty astute and in tune with his children's feelings. Mm-hmm. So he's smart enough to know, aha, this came after the mediation. Mom must have talked to him about the mediation. Yeah. So he can sit down with them and say, here's what I've noticed since I had a meeting with your mom. So I'm deducting in my brain that this is a result of that. So I'm just throwing it out there. Let's talk about it. One of the things that I think good parents try to do, good co-parents, is to try to protect their children from information that might harm them. And we all do that and we should do that. Yeah. But you can take that so far to the other extreme that the kids don't think they're allowed to just talk about reality. So I think you have to, especially as they become teenagers, you have to give them 
opportunity to say, it's really okay to talk about this because it's kind of like saying, we're all good. Everything's fine. We don't have any problems. We're not going to talk about that. Denial. Right. And I've actually had kids tell me that they're not sure they're allowed to bring up their mom to their dad or their dad to their mom. Mm. And that makes me sad because they never talk about it. Dad acts like, mom doesn't exist and mom acts like dad doesn't exist. And it's not because they're mean people. It's because they think if they bring up the other parent, it'll create conflict in their child's mind. Mm. So I want to encourage listeners to balance that. You can talk to your kids about what's real. You don't have to throw the other parent under the bus to do that. One of the things I talk about in the class is allow your children to have their relationship with the other parent. So they may have a very difficult day with the other parent. They can come and talk to you about that difficult day, about the difficulty with the other parent, but you don't have to make it about the other parent. You make it about the child's feelings of having a bad day. And this goes back to us talking in a prior episode about the truth. You always say the truth isn't always the what is that? Truth saying? isn't the asset you think it is with your right. kids. Right. So I've had parents say to me, well, I'm going to tell them the truth that their dad's an alcoholic because that's the truth. Okay. Chances are your kids already know dad is an alcoholic if he right. truly is one, right? Especially if they're older, if you have older children, 10 and above, they've noticed the behavior and they know what's going on. But there's a different way of telling the truth. One is helpful to your child and one is only helpful to you. Yes okay, you're getting a divorce because your dad's an alcoholic and you've seen the the chaos and, and stuff that he's created in our household and I'm finally divorcing him is one way to tell the so-called truth. Another way is, listen, you guys have probably seen your dad has an issue with alcohol that's created some problems on our marriage. I've decided I'm going to leave the marriage or whatever. Really hope your dad gets this under control. He says he's going to try. So I hope that he does for your sake. But I just wanted to let you know, there's a different tone. Yeah. There's a way to talk about the truth without making the other person the one to blame for the world's problems and yours specifically. That's in service of your child. Even if they've seen some of the truth, you can normalize it. You can even give the other parent the benefit of the doubt for their sake. You want to create hope in your child, right? So. A parent who can't do that has a therapy issue. Mm. Honestly, if you love your child, you will do everything in your power to speak truth, but do it sensitively so that that identity is preserved. Kind of like we talked about with the infidelity and identity show. Yes. Yeah. And I can attest to that. I didn't have that skill when I started so yeah, I learned a lot about parenting and a lot of that I learned was through counseling and therapy. Yes. So I think to wrap this up, Tom, how to deal with a passive aggressive person or even a passive aggressive narcissist is not to try to find out what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it and how to counteract it. It's number one on a practical level, like we said in the email, just Tell them what you're going to do if they fail to respond. Yes. One way to deal with it. With regard to all the issues around the kids, you make it nothing about the co-parent and everything about the children and their feelings and what they can share with you, how it feels to them to have this passive aggressive parent. So let go of mom's motives or even mom as cause and hang on to 
your children's feelings, have that conversation with them, or at least open the door to allow that conversation to take place. Absolutely. So if we go back to whack, worried, afraid, and concerned. Yes. That's your guideline to asking about feelings. When the child is grumpy and they're hungry and mom didn't feed us or whatever, you can say, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're worried about. Because I know I get grumpy when I'm worried about something Mm -hmm. or I have a concern. What are you worried about here? Give me some of your concerns so I know how to address them. Just open up that conversation and you might get the floodgates open or not, but at least you're saying the conversation in my house is open. Yeah. I'm here when you're ready. Yeah. And then you got to wait for it sometimes, especially with teenagers. Now that reminds me of the story I you told me once about the ninja skills that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a, a parent, I love her. She decided that every time the child was expressing some sort of feeling that she thought was a result of the other parent telling them something, uh-huh. even when the child said, dad said this, she would go into what she called ninja mode, meaning <laughs> ultra focus on the child's feelings. Oh, wow. You seem so hurt. Let's talk about that because I don't want you to be hurt. What is this hurt about? She said she had to do that to remind herself to not ask about the other parent. <laughs> Okay, good. She went into ninja mode. So yeah, that's how you have to think about it. Then think about it that way, because your kids ultimately will respond when you make it about them. Yes. Yep. And appreciate it. All right. This would be a good one to talk about on our Non-Impossibles Facebook page. So access us at Facebook slash Co-Parent Dilemmas, or I think it's CP Dilemmas. Yes. And from there, you can get on our Facebook page of the Non-Impossibles, where we've begun some conversations about all of our episodes. So join us. And Tom, I appreciate your efforts of being a Non-Impossible, especially using the email protocol. Kudos to you, sir. Yep. Awesome. All All right. right. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. We hope this episode was helpful to you. If you'd like to share your dilemma or tell us how something we said has benefited your situation, please call 1-234-DILEMMA. That's 234-362-3445. Or email 1234-DILEMMA at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Co-Parent Dilemmas wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a favorable rating. That will make us more accessible to co-parents who are searching for help. Thank you for being part of our non-impossible family.